Welcome to the Dylan Experience. Today is episode 53, and I've got a special guest for you today. My next guest has been a licensed professional counselor and therapist for 12 years. He recently began his own counseling practice called Set Apart Therapy Services and provides outpatient therapy for children, teens, adults, and couples. He digs into the very uniqueness that makes each person themselves to improve their life functioning and develop purpose. Speaking of digging, my guest is also quite a unique, or is quite unique as he is also a registered horticulture therapist with over seven years dedicated to connecting people with the healing connection of plants. I'm excited to share with you Jonathan Irish, a fellow Wisconsinite. So this is going to be fun. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing great. And I'm, I'm excited for this conversation because I've, you know, I have friends that are into horticulture, but I've never, you know, before, before we had talked on the phone, I had never heard of a horticulture therapist. And I am, I am just absolutely curious, you know, more about that, more about your practice, more about your, you know, what do you do with it? How do you connect people with plants? How do you also implement that into your own, you know, therapy practice itself? Tell me about it. Okay. So I did not know about horticultural therapy um, at all until several years ago when I volunteered um, to be on a committee that I was a part of at my old job in Colorado. And they wanted to look at our relationship to the community around Pueblo is where we were. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, do you want to volunteer to be on this committee? And I said, you're giving me free lunch? Absolutely. <laughs> and during that process, I actually did one of the smartest things that I do in life, which was listen to my wife. <laughs> and she, she had come across the idea of horticultural therapy. And every little place that we had that we could do something in the ground. I was moving landscape rocks and trying to put some plants in there, do a little bit of gardening, all of which epically failed, but it was, it was a lot of work, a lot of good work. And she came across it, which is essentially the combination of therapy for, for different ways. So it's not just mental health therapy, right. but it's using that people plant connection in order to, in order to accomplish a therapeutic goal. And so with this committee, I was able to tell them, hey, if we could get a community garden going, that would be amazing. It could bring people together. It could give people a sense of growing and owning their own food. And that led to me being able to go to the Horticultural Therapy Institute in Colorado and that was the first step. Those it was um, nine college credit hours worth of of classes that I went to over the course of about a year, year and a half. And after that, I was able to go and figure out essentially how I would want to incorporate that with a mental health field. Mm -hmm. There's a, a lot of horticultural therapists who work in hospitals rehab centers, uh, geriatric units, doing sort of the mobility aspects, the recovery aspects, the leisure aspects, but not tying it purposefully into the mental health aspect. Sure. And so I, 
I just discovered that it's, there's one thing to do therapy in an office. It's, it's comfortable. You can teach people um, tricks to try to remember stuff, acrostics. Right? Being in the military, you're no, no stranger to acronyms and all that stuff. Right. Um, but I, I realized that we were created in a garden. You're created into the land to take care of the land. And being able to combine therapy with that aspect that's so intrinsic to humanity really allowed me to capture things that people have access to all over the place. If we work with trees, if we work with plants and a person leaves from therapy, they're going to see plants, they're going to see trees and have this sort of memory of what we did during that session. So it gave something much more tangible to the, the person or the people that I was working with. Sounds, you know, in, in my own work and, and a lot of what I do is, you know, discuss suicide and have, I've thought about suicide so much and researched it so much, you know, mm -hmm. the, the thing that kind of strikes me in that, in that whole story is you're building connection very like directly, right? You're, you're trying to directly bring people to nature and you do that through the, the task of doing something together of like you, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that through horticulture therapy, part of it is the actual act of, you know, whether it's planting, it's actual doing the work. Um, right. And so doing that task together, and then also I'm, I'm imagining there's, there's some sort of mental health discussion going on in the, in the background, in the foreground, you know, and all sorts of different pieces of that, that, puzzle um that connection is really becoming you know deeper and deeper and you know what i know about suicide is like you know suicide isn't the problem it's the disconnection of everything that caused suicide to become an option that's the real problem and so i i find it really interesting to you know to think about horticulture therapy you know in a, in a different way then I, I think I've, well, one, I never heard of it before we talked, but now that, you know, you kind of explain these things, it's really interesting to, you know, think about how much, how much are we expecting talk therapy to solve our problems when the reality is, is that we can make anything therapy. You right. know, it, it, it's, right. it's a really interesting concept that, you know, we, we, we find ourselves kind of stuck in this evolving door, you know, this revolving door of, you know, client in client out, um, for not only coaches like myself, but therapists and counselors of, you know, you get stuck in this, okay, we got to go to the office again, or we, you, we got to jump on zoom again and, and conduct right. business, right. Where it's maybe that's not always the right place for people, you know, maybe horticulture is the right place or, you know, for me guns, like I, I, I love shooting, you know? And yeah. so, Right. I can't tell you how many veterans I've taken out and gone shooting with them and just had that connection. So it's really interesting that you, you offer up that idea, you know, for, for me to kind of think through and think outside the box. It's, I just, I find it really remarkable. Yeah. I, I, I agree with what you're saying that uh, when you, when you are able to recognize the benefit of connecting with nature, of doing something, whether it's blowing it up or planting it, 
Uh, <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun. It gives you something that is literally hands-on that just by the nature of it, it's connection. Yeah. And I, one thing that I think about when I was at Rogers, I would work with people who would have obsessive compulsive disorder, right? To varying degrees. It's a, a whole continuum of how debilitating it is. But oftentimes people would find out that I was doing horticultural therapy and that we would be in the greenhouse working in the dirt. And they would say, there's no way I'm going there. And over the course of their treatment, sometimes people would try to come to my groups and just sit there. Mm-hmm. And there, there would be people that would be able to work through a lot of that disconnection that was there that prevented them from being able to touch dirt. And then you fast forward eight weeks and they're like, look, I grew these plants. I can touch this. I'm cleaning the bugs off myself. And it's like, that is amazing because they can take that and transplant that to their own life post recovery. Yeah. OCD is an interesting discussion. And I'm, I'm curious since you've, since you've worked with that, what, what do you think of, you know, obviously you see this, that it's, you, you kind of in, in some way solved the problem, right. Of this person has an inability to, um, you know, you know, this inability to just function in society or function in their own life without compulsively doing this obsessive thing, um, or, or, you know, maintain this focus on this one specific item or thing that they are deathly afraid of, or, you know, I'm sure there's so many different things that that can happen. When you look at OCD, whether culturally or, you know, clinically, what do you think is, is really the, the solution there? Or what do you think is like the best way to approach that, that situation? All right. So I'll give an analogy which is another reason why I like horticultural therapy is that I don't have to come up with this like very expansive idea on my own. It's mm-hmm. already out there. I'm, I'm looking out the window. Yeah. So with, with trees, okay, you got, none of us really can just peer into the dirt and see all the roots that are at the surface. We, we are able to see how the tree's growing, what fruit it's producing, whether it's healthy or not, because of what we are able to observe above the surface. It has all this other stuff going on down below, but the tree is innately connected to its roots. That's where it gets its water. It's where it derives its nutrients. And so with obsessive compulsive disorder, you may see the symptoms above the surface, but you don't necessarily know the cause or what perpetuates it to continue, right? Just like trees, Apple trees, for example, they are very susceptible to like little microbes in the soil that could spread disease that then comes up through the roots into the the trunk of the tree and then shows up on its leaves as this like rust kind of nasty looking thing. And you actually have to time when you introduce a beneficial insect into the soil to then fight and destroy those nematodes that are causing the the problem. So you're able to treat below the soil what you're able to see above the soil 
and it works together. It's pretty remarkable. So as that applies to OCD, it's like, hey, yeah, we could reduce symptoms. Sure. Okay. Anyone can white knuckle for a certain amount of time, touch something that bothers them, go to a place that bothers them. But once they've stabilized and they've reached a point where they can interact with the conversation, do some more challenging things, then we can ask, okay, what about your roots is causing this in the first place? When did it first enter into your life? How do we introduce things that can then fight against that uh, negative influence? I, I really like, I really like how you approach this, you know, and I, and I don't know, you know, I don't have a ton of conversations with therapists and I don't have a ton of conversations with counselors and, um, but the ones, the, the people that do come to me, um, the people that come to me are often the people that are afraid of therapy, that are afraid of counseling, they're afraid of these things because they've either had the stigmas or they've had the, you know, outright issues with, with people, um, you know, operating in ways that are not like this. So it's interesting to kind of hear the opposite end of that spectrum. Like, I think this is a really valuable conversation here that we're having is that you, much like me, look at the roots of the problem rather than the symptoms, you know, and I think, you know, I don't know if it's, it's the DSM or, or how we've kind of looked at mental, uh, mental health issues in general of looking at them through the, the eyes of symptom clusters. Um, but I think it's, it's come to a point where it's, it's almost stigmatized people to stray away from therapy in some, some regards. And I think what you're doing and how you're approaching this is really remarkable. Um, whether that's like the industry standard or not, I think what you do specifically and how you're approaching these problems, are, it's, really, it's really refreshing to hear. Um, and I imagine that the people that are listening to this podcast and listening to you I, I hope they understand how valuable this is because, you know, you're to approach the real problem is always the, the real question is how do you figure out what is the real problem? And to even understand that there's a problem beyond the symptom is pretty rare these days. Right. You know, and that's, that's, it's, I just want to remind you if you've forgotten that what you do and how you do it is, is incredible. And I hope you, I hope you recognize that. I, I like to think so in a, in a <laughs> therapist's fantasy, they can do everything for everyone, no matter the problem. The reality is we do have to find what we do well and try to hone that and then help refer people for other services or to other therapists. If we don't yeah. do that well and just be okay saying, no, I can't do it all. Dang it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to answer the question before I ask it to you, because I, I don't want to blindside you, but you know, I, I look at people, you know, and I come from a place of struggling through mental health issues myself. Um, you know, suicidal ideation. I, I almost committed suicide in 2015. I lost my dad to suicide in, in 1996 um, when I was six years old. So I've had all of these major issues in life, not to mention the the war and, and what I went through in, in Afghanistan. Um, I look at people and I, I kind of have this, whether it's jaded or not, I don't know. You can tell me maybe, 
Um, I look at people as, as an understanding that I can't help anyone, right? But I can help them help themselves in a regard. So it's not necessarily that I can't help. It's, but a, it's a very specific, you know, as a coach, I think this is very val- valuable for my own style of, I look at people and I say, it's not my job to be responsible for your change. What I am responsible for is giving you support. My, what I am responsible is giving you guidance if I, if I can, if you're willing to take it, right? But mm-hmm. my job isn't to make you responsible for that change. Um, and I'm curious what you think of that. Is, is that how you kind of approach people? Um, or do you feel like you can have a direct influence on, on that responsibility of sorts? I would say that people stigmatize therapists as well coming into therapy. And sometimes they see us as these wise sages, wise sages of wisdom. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to give me this remarkable answer. And then 53 minutes later, I'm cured. (laughs) But I, I often will not answer people directly. I want them to wrestle through that process. Part of horticultural therapy is that the the end result, it doesn't matter. I could take care of some seeds. I could grow awesome plants and they could die five weeks later, hailstorm in Wisconsin, snow, like, you know, late July or something. Yep. And so it's not about the end result that matters. It's the journey. It's what you do during that process. That is the focus of horticultural therapy and also the the focus of what I do with my clients. I don't control how they feel, right? They may say, oh, hey, Jonathan, I I struggle with depression. Cure it. Well, pills don't do it. There's no easy cure. Otherwise I could charge a lot of money for what I do and people would not be happy. Yeah, well, what's this? That's not fair. But it's the, it's the struggle. It's the connecting with other relationships in people's lives that end up making changes. And I would say that what, what you're asking is really a difference between control and influence. I don't control how people feel. I don't control the success they have at the end of a therapy session or set of sessions. I help influence them in a way where then they can take control back and make changes themselves. Do you think that's a rare conceptualization of your work? Do you think a lot of people have that understanding or do you think it's um, uncommon? I, I do think oddly about a lot of things. So it's possible that it's uncommon. What I will say is We live in a society that I think has become very immediate, that a lot of the benefits of social media, of being able to get things shipped to our houses overnight, sometimes within hours of ordering it, has created this culture of wanting instant gratification, instant reward. And we've lost the ability to delay gratification and put off what we want. And so there's yeah, it, it may be that it's a unique approach because solution-focused brief therapy is kind of designed for 
four to eight sessions tops. It's like, okay, you're going to come in and within two months, make enough change to go and, and be better to some degree. Well, the seasons, you only get one season per year, per season. There's four of them. They repeat themselves. And if you miss your opportunity in spring this year, you got to wait a whole year. So I think that the, the influence of horticultural therapy and working with plants and being a therapist has given me a unique perspective in that I understand that things take a while. Growth happens over time. You can't, I can't force plants to start growing in the winter just because I want to. Yeah. I, I love, I love how you, you know, especially you did it early on. Like you conceptualize this idea of time, right. Of timing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, there's a planting season and there's a, a reaping season, you know, you can't, you can't plant and reap at the same time of the, with the same plant. And so it's, it's, I, I find that it's, it's quite interesting that when people come to me, you know, or when people, I would imagine you find it interesting too, when people come to you, you know, and, and there's, there's always this timing of when people become willing in, in my eyes of wanting to be influenced or wanting to be helped or supported or guided, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's, you know, for, for every specific person, something happens to bring them to a point where they finally become willing to step outside of that box that they've always felt comfortable. in, even though they've been remarkably uncomfortable. Right. Um, so I, I, I do find it, I find it remarkably refreshing to have a conversation with someone that kind of really understands that, that timing matters. You know, it's, it's not just a, it's not just a, you know, a, a planting thing or a horticulture thing. It's a real thing is that there's, there's a part of you that you are your own plant where you are setting in your roots and you are finding a point where, you know, if you want to have a fruitful life, you've got to create the conditions within your own soil that you develop the, the, the soil around you and the, the environment around you. And sometimes that environment isn't going to work for you. Just like we know in Wisconsin where it's, you know, I went to drill last, last month and it was snowing in the morning and then it was 65 degrees in the afternoon. And then it was a thunderstorm at night. It was, it was absolutely insane. Um, and, and when you realize that that's going to always happen, right. You start to kind of move yourself or transplant yourself. And, you know, I like the, the plant analogy of like, you, you transplant yourself to a place with fellow plants or fellow trees that function within your, you know, the guise of what you're trying to accomplish. And if you want a fruit, you've got to find people that are, you know, also trying to do the same thing that, that aren't taking away from, from your own environment that of things that you need. And so it's, I really find it, it's quite refreshing to hear you talk about this stuff and even bring the analogies forward. I, I love it. Awesome. Well, it's good to hear. It's, <laughs> and I, I would love to hear, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you kind of approach the, um, I guess the, maybe even the entrepreneurship of, of stepping into therapy. Cause I, 
I'm a coach, right? And so I'm, I'm obviously a little bit different, but there's, there's, I think this necessity for people to look at, not necessarily necessity is probably not the right word, but there's this, this stigma or this way of looking at helping people struggling through mental health, where there's this expectation that it should be free. There's this expectation that you should be giving me all of your time. How do you balance the the home life and the the work life of trying to help people? Like, where do you set boundaries? How do you set boundaries? Where where do you struggle with those boundaries? Because undoubtedly, I, I imagine they exist. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, trial and error, I would say. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. every, everything sounds fantastic during grad school when your nose is in a book and it's like, okay, I'm going to leave grad school knowing exactly how to help people. And then you, uh, well, I'll talk about myself. Then I sit down with my first job and I'm like, uh, hang on. I need to look at my textbook because what you're talking about is not something that I encountered and that's not okay. I need to know the answer. And it, it's the same way for me as a therapist. I, this is the first time I've ever had my own business. And I realized that it, there's a huge risk. I think the fear and the concern of failing and of not being able to provide for my family had kept me from going to this point ever in my life. It's like, there, there's no way. I need security. I need stability. I need to have my... Uh, three days off. If I need to have bereavement leave, I need to have my two to three weeks of vacation every year, my 12, six days. What do I do if I don't show up? It's my job and I don't get paid. So I've, I've had to have a completely different understanding of how to conceptualize business. Yeah. And it's a, it's an ongoing process. Yeah. Um, I would Tough. say that Part of, part of my environment growing up was to, to be humble and to live a simple life. And my parents gave me a certain parameter to live within. And then my, my perspective of that twists it in its own way that either makes me healthier or uh, more unhealthy, I guess. Right. And for many years, it was more the unhealthy side where I thought that to pursue a career that allowed me financial freedom was arrogant. And it was like only recently when I realized, no, it's, a, it's okay for me to be all right saying that I do know what I'm doing, that I do have a certain skill set, and that I can help people and to not be afraid to share that with other people. Um, that I think that's what's allowed me to have a model that doesn't work with insurance companies yeah. because I want my clients and my business to be free to explore and to do what people want. I want it to be transparent and people to know what they're getting themselves into as far as commitments. Yeah. And that's one of the advantages that it, it's a, a schematic shift for people to say, wait, I don't just pay my deductible. I don't just pay my copay. Like, no, this is what you'll pay the whole time. Every time I see you and let's yeah. make the most of it. Let's see this as an investment. Yeah. And it's, 
I'm not the best entrepreneur, I would say. I'm definitely horrible at selling, being like a salesman. Yeah. And just yesterday, actually, my computer stopped working and I'm trying to fix it myself. I'm spending hours and getting more frustrated because I knew we had this podcast coming up. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I call up some computer places and they're like, oh, we charge such and such an hour. I'm like, okay, cool. I don't care how much you charge per hour. I need my computer. But we, I don't think we do that same thing with therapy. No. Right? We say, okay, I'll come to therapy, but if I can only invest oh, $5 copay, $25 copay, and it, it sort of has to be an educational aspect to say, you know, this, yeah, it may cost you right now, but the benefits, they'll reap this wonderful harvest down the road. Yeah. It's, I was, you know, I started my business two years ago. Um, and I, you know, I, I worked with a friend of mine before that, but that was before my, my last deployment. Um, and I helped him kind of build a photography and videography business. And it was really easy to sell him. You know, he was, he was the, he was the art, he was the artist, right? He was the, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew how to build stuff that just looked great. He had, he had great photography skills, great editing skills, great videography skills. Um, and I just kind of helped him sell himself. But then when I got to myself, you know, a year and a half later, when I started my own business, it was like, how did, how is it so easy to do that for him, but so hard for me to do it for myself? Right. Um, and, and I, I had to kind of step away from the concept of trying to sell myself and step into just the idea of presenting myself. Um, okay. And that's, that's what I started doing on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worked, you know, it's, I'm not the best salesman. I, I still have followers, you know, I have almost 600,000 followers on TikTok and I had one of them. Yes. You know, three or four days ago, contact me via DM. That's been a follower for a long time. I know she has. Cause yeah. I see her, you know, consistently. And she, she messaged me and she's like, I just found out you had a book. And this is almost a year after I published my book. I've been, I've been talking about my book since the beginning of my, you know, my, my TikTok journey. I just didn't publish it until July last year. And she right. had no idea, you know, and that's partly on my own fault of like, talk about your book, Dylan. Right. But it's, you know, it's, it's a remarkable uh, battle to kind of know whether it's okay to talk about yourself, talk about what you've, you know, cause you, cause I'm going to benefit from people buying my book, but I always, I also have people that are like, I, I don't have the funds to buy your book. I don't have the ability to buy your book, you know? And so like where, where that line is and where that boundary is of like, what's too much selling and what's not enough selling. You know, I certainly believe at this point in my life, I'm not doing enough selling because I recognize the value of me and the value of my products and the, the value of my, um, you know, my work with people, but right. that there's a limitation somewhere in my mind that says, you know what, I don't want to talk about myself. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting battle, especially as an entrepreneur, because it's just money is just so interesting to talk about, you know, like to make money is, is almost shameful to us, even though it shouldn't be right. Especially when we're taking care of a family. Right. Right. 
How weird. Yes. So I, as you're talking, I was thinking about how there's a tremendous strength that you have in writing a book that goes through the messiness of your life that makes you completely vulnerable to people picking up a book and knowing about you at a very deep level. Oh yeah. And that that's remarkable. Right? And as people get to know you either through the book or through the podcasts, then they're like, yeah, you're just, you're being who you are. You're transparent. And that will naturally cause people to gravitate towards you if they have something in common. Yeah. The, the, I don't have a problem with authenticity. I sometimes have, you know, I, I, I would say that sometimes I have a problem with not, not showcasing my authenticity at times. You know, sometimes it's, I have no problem here in this environment um, talking about authenticity, talking about genuine, you know, the genuine nature of how I operate and what I, why I do what I do. What mm -hmm. I struggle with is, you know, putting a camera on myself right now and saying, you know, saying these things and putting it out there because it doesn't feel genuine, you know? And so the idea and the concept of like how you almost have to run a business now is through the concept of, you know, content creation, you know? And so right. if, that's what I find really interesting is that there's people out there. When we talk about business, there's people out there that do really well because all they, the best they know how to do is to record everything they say. And that's okay for them. But then you also have people that are remarkably intelligent. So like have, have so much to offer. And, and this isn't me talking about me. This is, there's real people out there that I have conversations with on this podcast that recognize that they know how to help people or they have a strategy to help people that's really incredible, but they don't know how to sit there with that, that camera and set it up and record themselves in a way that's authentic, that's real, that's, you know, you and me are having a conversation right here. There's right. people out there that do that, but they don't know how to just put it out there in the content creation realm. Mm -hmm. and, and so they don't become successful simply because they don't know how to present themselves. And then I, I look at that and I'm like, the world's missing out on these people, but they don't even know. And I kind of look at myself sometimes. And I'm like, I, you know, it's interesting how I'm talking about this right now. I'm thinking about that of, right. I'm, I'm almost doing it to myself. I'm dismissing myself at times of, I do that too. Right. Of like, I, I sometimes pick up the phone and I'm like, I don't want to make content today. Right. I don't, I don't feel like selling myself today. I feel, it doesn't feel genuine. Right. But then I come on a podcast like this and I feel I I could talk about this stuff all day because it's Absolutely. easy to have a conversation. It's hard to have a conversation with a phone. <laughs> right. Right. And that, that's a, that idea of conversation, telling your story is something that happens naturally when I'm working with people out in nature doing something together, if we're planting together and we're just talking about life, it frees up your brain's space to say, hey, I can just kind of be who I am. I can share my story without all these filters, without all these roadblocks, without all these locked, sealed, 12-inch thick doors to keep that behind yeah. where anyone could access. Right. It's, it's, so, it's so funny. You know, like people... I always find that it's 
what people lock behind those walls is always different, right? And, and it, it almost feels like inception sometimes where like, oh, yeah. you know, you're stepping into that dream of like, what is behind that locked door? What are we trying to, you know, infiltrate to get into? Um, and it's so remarkable. I think humans are so remarkable to have, you know, some people are protecting the stories. Some people are protecting the image. Some people are protecting the emotions where they, they won't, they'll be able to tell the stories with, without any emotion, right? Eloquently and diversely, you know, use all the words that they want to use and, but they won't have any feelings behind it, right? Where some people won't be able to share a word. They can't even express right. it. You know, it's so interesting to kind of see that. I, I, my curiosity for you is how do you approach that very same thing? How do you approach people that have different things locked behind those, those doors, you know, between the feelings, the stories, the words, you know, the, how, how do you approach that in your own work? Theoretically, I approach it like I would pruning a plant. So you prune plants back to help them grow healthier and fuller. There are times where you have to prune off the dead stuff, the stuff that just gets in the way, keeps light from going through. And by doing that, it's painful. It takes hard work. You have to do it at the right time. But that frees up a person or a plant's resources to be able to grow to its full potential. And I would say I do a similar thing with people where most people have never come to therapy because they want to tell me how great life is. They're in some amount of crisis, right? Things are not going well. They're like, okay, fine. I will finally call. I'll finally commit. Don't know what that's going to look like, but I have to do it. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a certain amount of symptom management of getting back down to a baseline that happens before the growth and the pruning can take place. Otherwise, it's just going to be a disaster. So I try to identify people's strengths and then equip them to use those strengths in a strategic way throughout their life and experiment. I'm a huge encourager of experiments because if you don't try stuff, you don't know if it's going to go well or not. Um, I also encourage people to change their surroundings if they need to. So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest where there's like old growth redwoods all over the place. Mm -hmm. If we tried to plant redwoods in Wisconsin, it would not go well. Right. They would say, what, what are you doing? It's not enough fog. <laughs> right. Not enough fog. The, the redwoods in particular, their root systems are very shallow mm -hmm. and they have their strength because their roots grow over each other. Yeah. So if you have a solitary redwood, it's not going to stand very long because that wind will just push it over. Right. But if it grows in a community where it belongs in a community that provides its right nutrients, it's right support, the right environment, then it's able to flourish. And that's part of the therapy process is identifying, okay, if you hang out with this group of people and you know that they're taking you in a direction that's against your morals, that's against where you want to be, how do you transplant yourself into an environment and into people around you that are beneficial? It's going to be hard to uproot yourself and change, but it's worth it. Yeah. It's yeah. It's uh, 
Yeah, I, I think I think I've met my match in terms of of you know when you talked about experimentation and everything you talk about is is so very similar to to how I how I work with people. I, I just think I find it fascinating. You know, we I always find it fascinating when people come from completely different realms of life you know, completely different backgrounds, completely different education systems. Um, and we both see and view people the same in, in so many regards of, you know, I, I love to experiment with, with people of, you know, you know, we're going to try this today. Um, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to wing it or, you know, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about strengths. We're going to talk about weaknesses. And it's so, I just find it, also fascinating when people kind of develop these ideas together right and certainly we've probably read some of the same literature um, but at the same time we're different people from different places learning yeah. different things you know I've I've certainly have different experiences than you do and yet here we are looking at people all the same and so I, I find that one I find that very hopeful for for people is that if 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 me and Jonathan can find those things find those ideas those concepts those ways to to perceive things other people can too right you know we we can look at both of our backgrounds and realize we're quite different and yet now we're quite similar we we operate and perceive things and we have perspective that are that are quite quite similar um, and quite helpful for people. Um, and also, I think I would imagine quite helpful for ourselves. You know, you found things that help you and I've found things that help me. And we not only sit with people and help them, but I would imagine that you're quite good at looking at yourself, looking internally, you know, whether you overthink or not, doesn't really matter. What matters is, do you overthink to a purpose, you know? You know, I, I want to overthink this situation. I think overthinking is beneficial if you do it in the right direction, you know, you know, it's, and, and I imagine that throughout your life, you've probably come to a point where you respect a lot of your own past issues and where you are now and how to get, how to move forward. And in many cases, I, I imagine you have a very healthy perspective on how to move forward with life, but you tell me, is that, is that the case? Yeah, I would say that um, I used to buy into this idea of constant improvement, the bigger, faster, stronger was what our, our football team said, right? It's like, these are the, the top three words in the locker room, bigger, faster, stronger. And with age and with not being in sports as much, I realized ah, it's not going to continue. Yeah. Like I'm not going to, as I get older, be able to continually improve. And so what, what I've learned applied in my own life and what I encourage the people I work with to do is to instead constantly refine their life and who they are. So with, I'm not an expert in ore refinery or metallurgy or anything, but the general concept, right? You don't just go and dig gold out of the, the ground, melt it and pour yourself a ring there's a heating up process you have to get rid of all the crap that's in there the messiness the things that you don't want so you refine it you heat it up you melt it you take out the stuff that you don't want there you let it rest you do that again and again and there's a natural 
resting period that is countercultural because we're told, hey, if you want to be successful, you need to work 80 hours a week and drink all this caffeine and just push through barriers. Right. Like, uh, as, a, as a Christian, I don't think that's how God designed us. He gave us a period of rest on purpose. And there are times where we need to embrace that resting because you can't recover if you don't rest. And so that's, that's what I do in my own life when I'm on my A game, like, okay, let me get rid of the impurities. Sometimes it feels like I'm pouring more of them in there. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, going to have a lot to sift through next month. Yeah. That, that's my concept for it. Yeah. And that's, it's natural. You know, there's, there's never going to be a time in your life where it's going to be without issues, without problems, you know, whether, whether you, you know, are rich or poor, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like you're, you're always going to face something in life where, um, something is going to test your patience. It's going to test your, you know, your resolve, your resilience, so many different things. And I think it's a remarkable place to be in when you can look at yourself and say, I need to filter out my impurities. I need to filter out my, I need to refine my behaviors to a point where I'm happy with them. Um, And also being willing to look at other people's, uh, you know, willing to look at other people's opinions of you, but yet also disconnecting from, you know, the, the full picture of those uh, I think opinions, because I think so many people, especially culturally, get wrapped up in this idea of self-image um, and having to make that image perfect, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, Instagram is a good example of this, of like, do I want to be an Instagram model, right? Of trying to trying to make that perfect picture or make that perfect person exist on social media. Um, I think that's a, a difficult thing to wrestle with culturally right now um where where i think maybe gen z is teaching us a little bit about that of uh you know what tiktok really is i, I think is is in opposition to what instagram has been historically of instagram was kind of that perfect platform of photoshop of people you know these beautiful sunsets and these these modeling pictures and now TikTok's like, let's get fucking real. Let's let's talk right. about some shit, you know? Right. And and so it's not to say it's a perfect platform, but it is it is interesting to see that contrast there. Um, and to see how real people can be um and genuine and authentic people people are getting on 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 platforms. And that's always that's always a really interesting thing to me right now is I think the older generations right now are being taught a little, little something about authenticity, which is interesting, you know, because we're, we were told as kids uh, to be responsible for our actions, but now some of the older generations are struggling to be responsible for parenting styles that wouldn't allow us to be real and genuine and authentic. And not to say they didn't provide for us, but certainly there's something to be said for, for that concept. Right. Absolutely. I think that there, there's this pervasive lie out there in the world that we're not good enough, that yeah. we're, we're being kept from something. And 
It's like, no, we're, we're not. We just have to be willing to work for it and to do things that are maybe radical in order to obtain it. Yeah. It's there. It's possible. It's, yeah. If, if you encounter a barrier or if I encounter a barrier, I have a choice. I can figure out a way to overcome that barrier, push through that barrier, go around it, or I can choose to just relegate myself to the life that's on this side of the barrier. Right. Yeah. And you don't have to, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's always interesting to look at the barriers that have existed in, in life. You know, I, I didn't, you know, you and I didn't really have to deal with the, the concepts of racism, I assume when we grew up, um, or necessarily the concepts of sexism. Um, but those things existed in our world. And now I assume we both recognize them quite, quite literally, you know, these, these things are there, you know, and, and so like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and all of these places are now ways for people to communicate. And I think for the first time in human history, we're starting to see conversations at scale of the barriers that were actively engaged uh, for that, that made people struggle, you know, and, and not to say that, um, not to say that, how do I want to put this? You know, it's, it's not to say that that was a, um, that was the worst thing out there, you know, like how could, you know, it's not to say that how could white people do this? That's not the point or how could men do this? Or how could, you know, whoever, how could corporations do this? Um, but right now I think we're seeing this, this age of accountability where social media is actually this place where we're holding, we're holding up like the, the scroll of here's everything that's happened in the past. Why are you defending it? Right. Mm -hmm. Why are you holding to this ideal? Not necessarily to dismantle the whole system, but to ask the questions that are quite pertinent to, you know, whether it's politics or business or um, families, I, I think families are, are quite interesting right now of like, we talk about where we've never seen narcissism and toxic relationships used as, you know, on the scale it's been used recently, um, as it is on TikTok. Um, and so these things are happening, where people are having these conversations for the first time, certainly they're are bad situations happening where families are separating um, with these words being thrown around, but maybe not necessarily the reality. But do you think that's a good thing or not? Do you think that's a, um, you know, do you think that's pervasive or do you think that's good for society? Do you think that's good for families to, kind of work in opposition to what we've been told all our lives, you know, for people to now question some of that stuff. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, in, in some ways, I feel we've lost the ability to have meaningful interactions while disagreeing with people around us. Oh, yeah. The, the idea of broaching these subjects yeah. is so charged with what's right or what's wrong. Well, if, if we 
dial back the clock 20 years ago, that bar that was used to decide what was right or wrong is different. Yeah. I think that, so, so I follow the Bible qu quite a bit. I was, I was born into a church. My dad was a pastor. And part of what is in the Old Testament, which depending on your church, maybe they don't like uh, the Old Testament as much. It's more New Testament focused, but just like horticultural therapy, there's a connection from the roots to the shoots or what's below the surface to what's above the surface. Yeah. I, I put quite a bit of stock in histories in the, the foundational part of the Bible at the beginning. And it, it talks about there being nothing new under the sun, but there's, there's nothing new. And I wonder if we could have GoPros and a time machine and we went back three, 4,000 years, if it would really be that much different. If the, the problems that we have now are actually fundamentally different than the problems back then. And I don't think they are. I think that technology and our, our roads, our infrastructure allows us to approach those things in a different context. Sure. But if, if I was living with my family 3000 years ago, I couldn't just get on a plane, fly across the country and escape, go somewhere else. I had to figure out how to change. You had to go hunting. Right. 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 And, it, and the, the guns would be great for that. Right. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I was thinking about this the other day of like, it's, we're, we're building a very tribal society at this point, you know, like what, when we look at followers, right. We're building our tribe, you know, like I certainly have a family and that's my separate family, but I have 500 and some thousand followers that are actively looking at me, you know, and saying, wow, I like this guy's content. I like what he's saying. I like what he's preaching. I like what he's sharing, you know, like, and we're doing this at scale, you know, my tribe's just a lot bigger than some people's, you know, and then in some cases, it's a lot smaller than others. Right. Um, which is interesting is we've learned how to develop the tribal system at scale, which is so funny to me, you know, and, and in a sense, you know, it's that, that same thing. If I wanted to escape social media, I just wouldn't open it. You know? Right. But right. I, I, I almost, I almost want to challenge you in, in saying that maybe it is a little bit different because of the, 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 the addition of technology, right? Tools certainly were, have always kind of been a part of human life, but mm -hmm. technology is not this, I, I don't, I don't know if I could say the same thing as tools. You know, I, I think it's a, uh, when you, when you look at the addictiveness of a cell phone and the addictiveness of social media, um, it's, it's interesting to look at that as, I don't know if we've ever faced anything like this, right. you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's right or wrong here. It's interesting. Yeah. Definitely good stuff to think about. I, yeah. I think that it, like, even if we did disagree and I'm like, no way you're wrong. We need to go back to like shovels and that's it. Right. <laughs> Let's go start burying our computers. Well, we, we have to learn to live in the world that we have. And I definitely am more old school. I'm very resistant to technology and all that stuff. I'm like, eh, 
uh, yeah, I don't have Facebook. I don't have Instagram. I don't have all that stuff. But I recognize that there may be a need to venture into those things and at least experiment with them yeah. and say, okay, how could this increase the, the, the tribe that I have or the influence that I have? Um, yeah. yeah. Business, but, like here's, here's my, and I haven't really talked about this on much on the podcast. So this might be a little bit new for some listeners, but if I were to go back to 2007, when I started using uh, social media, right? I started with Facebook. And I, I grew up with it in some regards. I was 17 when I first got my Facebook. And then what, 2012 to 2013, I think was when I first got Instagram. I came home from Afghanistan. I got Instagram. It's like, cool. I'll jump on this bandwagon. Um, and then, you know, obviously YouTube has always kind of been there. Um, Twitter, I never really got into. And then now TikTok. Um, all of those social medias, if I were to go back, I would fundamentally only use them for business. I, I think, I think if I had the choice, if I was, if I had the knowledge to take my, take back to when I was 17, I would only use them for business. I think, I think if you use it for anything outside of business, maybe research, right. Mm -hmm. To understand people. If you want to understand people go on the place where the most people are, right. I've learned that from TikTok, but it's, it can be a remarkable waste of time where it can also be a remarkable research opportunity for you. You can learn so much from it, but sometimes what you do in, in lieu of actually learning something is you distract yourself from things. Mm -hmm. And so I would, you know, that's what I've done with TikTok over the last two years is I very much made it a business centralized idea for myself, where when I'm stepping onto TikTok, it's to influence people, right? It's to share my thoughts, it's share my wisdom. Certainly it's my personal opinion, but my personal opinion is my work. And so it right. functions for me, works for me. Um, and, and, I look at it very long-term, right? I'm going to be on that platform for a while until it becomes not beneficial for me anymore. And I can move to the platform that has the most, most growth or most reach where I can help the most people. Um, but it will always be this, this thing for me, I think from this point on where if I recognize it as being a distraction or being a problem and it's not supporting my business anymore, I'm going to put it down. You know, if it's, if it's, guiding me away from the values that I really hold to be true of supporting mm -hmm. my family, of being empathetic, of, you know, uh, focusing on integrity and, and learning. Um, I'm definitely going to have to make the choice of setting it down and approaching myself with the idea of who is it that you want to be, right? Do you want to be locked into social media for the rest of your life? Um, just watching people, that you've never met exist? Or do you want to watch your family grow up? Do you want to, do you want to watch yourself grow up? Do you want to develop your life to be something that your children can admire, um, can learn from, can develop, can grow from, um, can, you know, where you can be open to them. Um, and that's one of the things I'm really focusing on now is I, I now recognize, you know, my son watches my TikToks my daughter someday is going to look at them, you know, and I haven't had my daughter yet. My daughter's coming in June. 
Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And someday she's going to look back, you know, but like if I, I look at my own relationship with my dad, right? If I were to die when she's six years old, how would I be remembered? Because Mm -hmm. I don't remember my dad. I don't have anything to look at. I have one picture of him that I really actually feel like was me and him, right? Outside of that, I have no memory. I have no understanding. And what I've done, I think, and kind of what inspires me to keep going on social media is the recognition that someday my children are going to look back on what I've done. They're going to read my book. They're going to look at my my stuff. Maybe, I don't know, they might not. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm overestimating my impact on them, but they'll have access to it. And that's a really incredible thing. So I look at it as, as almost a sacred, uh, it's almost my own sacred text of this is me and this is who I've grown to be, you know, and I, you know, I won't always look back and be like, you know, my first video I made on TikTok, I'm going to be like, wow, that's the one I'm really proud of. Right. Um, I'm going to look at that. And I'm going to be like, oh God, you know, like I've learned so much since then I've learned right. how to operate on camera a lot better, but they're not going to look at that necessarily like that. They're going to look at that and be like, that's my dad. Or right. I hate that guy. Yeah. Who knows? Like, I hope not, but probably not, probably not. You know, it, like it's, it's a really, it's one thing I think people don't often look at, you know, cause I like to look at long-term and I don't think people look at social media as long-term. They look at it as I'm distracting myself today. And the reality is, is that everything you post on social media is going to be there for a long time. As long as the internet's alive, it's going to be there. Right. Gets captured somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's there and people will someday look at our ancient history, you know, like you might find a, 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 an old server that has all the pictures on Facebook or all the pictures on Instagram. And, and so I, I kind of look at it that way sometimes of, this is also a collection of, of memories that can memorialize our, you know, and, and support people in their own grief. You know, mm-hmm. if I, if I, some, if I die before my, my time, uh, you know, before my time to really teach my daughter everything I want to teach her or my son, um, that becomes the way that she can look back and see me and recognize who I am and, and value her father like I never could. You know, I find that really interesting and I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. Yeah. Earlier, you had mentioned this idea of being willing to to walk away or stop something that it was no longer beneficial. And I think that uh, I actually wrote it down right here is that that echoes of this this idea of having a sacrificial attitude of what am I willing to give up in order to live congruently with my morals and where I want to be. And I think that 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 keeps people humble, willing to sacrifice things and say, hey, if if this is not healthy for me, even though I like it, even though it may have some benefit, okay, it has to go. And that will free up the ability for growth in a different area. 
Yeah. That's a rare, I think that's a rare quality. You know, I think, I think we've, we've built this fear of missing out. You know, we have an acronym for it, right? FOMO, right? Like when, when we build an acronym for something, it's clearly important to us, even if it's not good for us, right? Like, you know, fear of missing out takes, it takes away the power of sacrifice because you'll always look at that thing and say, I'm, I'm missing out on this. And so you will, you won't sacrifice it. That's why, that's why hoarding exists. That's why, you know, that's why you can't put down addictions. That's why you can't put down, uh, you know, things like TikTok and, and things like Instagram. And, and I know it would be hard for me to put down TikTok because there's, there's real benefits that I'd get from it. Um, but at the same time, I, I do leverage this ability to assess myself and assess my environment, assess the things around me. Um, and if it were to impact my relationship with my wife, um, my relationship with my son, my relationship with my future daughter, it would be the first thing I approach. You know, I've, I've learned so much about, you know, relationships to understand that when you recognize the piece of yourself that is getting in the way, you know, much like the great redwoods, um, you know, they, they have this ability to collect heavy metals into albino, albino branches. And those albino branches are the first ones to fall off when, um, when water and resources become scarce in the, in the redwood forest. And so much like the great redwoods, you must be willing to sacrifice the piece of you to save the rest of the tree. You know, and I think that's so it's, it's quite, it's becoming quite rare these days because people fear missing out. Right. It's, a, it's a real tangible issue. Yeah. I did not know that about redwoods. That's I learned awesome. that. I learned that last that's year. That's cool. See, you'll be a horticultural therapist in no time. Well, I've, I've got a really good friend of mine that is, he's a, uh, a forester. So he, he just loves trees and he's, he's kind of taken a step away from, um, he's taken a step away from like industry logging, um, and, and stepped into a more, um, a, just a, a more congruent and more, uh, natural forestry where, you know, uh, where he preserves the life of the forest rather than taking everything that is useful. Um, you know, he tries to um, really, he, he loves trees. And I, and I love that he, he's kind of stepped into the, the path that he's stepping into now of where he, he tries to pre- preserve this beautiful thing that, that he sees um, within the land. And, and he's, you know, so many, so many things kind of relatable to this conversation with him Um that he's he's really found himself in that in that own light and in, in that own pla- in that place um and i really love that for him because that's one of the things that i think he's always needed that's great yeah but we could probably continue this conversation for a couple hours right. um but I don't want to. I don't want to take too much time away from you, and I, I certainly don't want to get to a point where where we have uh, found our limit. So let me let me ask you one last question, if you don't mind, okay. and then and then we'll wrap this up. So, 
if there was one message you could leave the world, what would it be? No pressure. <laughs> um, I would say that um, out of my own life and experience, what I would want people to know is that I believe that God has set all of us apart for a calling that is beyond what we think is even possible and that we can capture that if we're able to understand what he has set apart all of us for. And that is a journey. It's a lifelong journey. It's not done instantly, but knowing that we, we are capable of so much more than what we think we're limited to. And I want people to, to strive and sacrifice and do whatever is necessary to obtain that. Yeah. Beautifully said. Absolutely beautifully said. Jonathan, what's the best way to get in touch with you? What's the best way to, uh, you know, work with you, uh, whether online or in person? So I can be reached through phone or email. My email address is setapartherapyservices at gmail.com. And my, my work number is 262-701-7255. I have no website yet, but it is in the process of being made. So eventually sure. I, I will have a website as well. Sure. And we'll, we'll make sure that all of that gets into the, the show notes below so that people okay. can just access that right away without having to okay. try and memorize that from, right. from your saying. Um, I, am, whenever... I am also on psychology today as well. So they can just search for Jonathan Irish Perfect. and I'm on there. Perfect. Well, Jonathan, it's been, it's been a pleasure. I can't wait to, uh, I imagine we have to meet in person at some point um, and, yeah. and, you know, have, have some sort of conversation as well, but uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. It's been, it's been great talking and refreshing talking to someone that, that kind of sees things through the lens that I see things. And yeah, it's, it's great. It's Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And if you've made it to this point in the podcast, please make sure you like subscribe, follow the podcast. Uh, if you can comment, feel free to comment. Let me know what you think of this episode and other episodes. And if you're still here, we'll see you next time on the drone experience. And that's it.